this uh, morning when we got to pray together with the, uh, some of the men here uh, on all of their hearts, our hearts, to, to pray for Tim this morning as he goes and preaches down at Lake Taft's Community Church going through a, a hard time. And I just uh, wanted to have us all join together and pray for Tim as well right now. So join me as uh, we pray for Ms. Uh, Pastor Tim as he shares with a, a church that's hurting. Uh, God, I thank you for Tim and his willingness to go and serve and preach your word and, and express his uh, experience, but his love for you and for your word and for this, this uh, body of believers is hurting. I pray for Pete there as he's also in the midst of, of the turmoil and heartache. And just that your peace would descend, that your spirit would, would move, that your joy and love would um, be evident and uh, you would strengthen your church church has been faithful to serve you for so many years, and uh, the gospel is preached, and so many lives have been changed and touched there at Lake Taps, and I pray that that would continue and, and even be strengthened through this time of hardship, just as you are at work here in, in our midst. Uh, may you uh, receive the glory, even through difficulties. Uh, may we see your hand at work and give you the praise, even though now maybe it's difficult. Thank you for Tim, and I pray you bless you and Carol right now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> different uh, seasons of the year seem to affect me in different ways. Uh, I have <clears throat> three, three things I think about as I go through the year that, <laughs> and you may have different times of the year. I know for a long time when our kids were growing up, you know, when school starts, things change uh, at the end of the school year. But one of my least favorite days of the year uh, is the summer solstice. For some reason, it's right in the middle of summer, and I think, oh, no, now the days are going to get shorter. <laughs> like, you don't, I mean, even the best of the summer is yet to come, but something about that day when it starts to turn, I think, oh, no, here we go again, darkness and gloom and rain. And, but I love the, the winter solstice. It's right in the middle of winter, and everything is cold and dark and rainy, but I think, oh, light is coming. It's turned. The season is, is coming. And uh, I... I, I, I I laugh at myself when I, when I say that, but it is something that uh, I think about every year as we go through the circle of uh, around the, the sun together. I love the days in spring when you, f you have that first whiff of, of flowers blooming and, and the sense that, that, that life is springing again and, and uh, things are starting to warm up and you feel that, that warm breeze for the first time after the cold months. I love harvest time, I do, and I think that's a, a really favorite time for a lot of people when, you know, you can, we have, we planted some grapes in our backyard and it took a number of years, but for the last couple of months, I can just walk through my yard and pick a snack and they're just delicious and, and, or an apple off the tree or my wife loves to brag about when we have a dinner, okay, this came up from our garden, this came up from our garden, this came up from our garden. And I love it, too. There's something about, about fresh food that's just been harvested. Uh, our, our, uh, the chapel over there on the island has this uh, wonderful practice that, that I've enjoyed and we've participated in um, during this time of year especially. Uh, we have this you know, little tiny foyer open to the air, but um, this time of year you can come in and find buckets of apples, buckets of potatoes, buckets of uh, 
tomatoes. Uh, Randy makes a homemade horseradish and, and bottles it in little baby food jars. It's delicious stuff. And, and it's just all there. People bring the abundance of what they've grown and just share it with each other. It's a, it's a wonderful season. We've been doing that for years. When I first went over to um, Santa Fuca <laughs> uh, years ago, um, I was scared to death to be a pastor and preach and have to do it all the time. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start with the, the Gospel of Mark. There's a nice, simple, straightforward, let's just talk about Jesus. And, and uh, as we, we began there in August and, and through the first few weeks and just uh, praying that God would help me learn how to preach, um, I, I would do different things. I, I know there's a, there's a dock over there in Coopville. Many times on a Saturday night, I would just go over there and walk on that dock and pray and ask God, help me I'm not a preacher and he he always did Um, I remember when I came to Mark chapter 4 and it's the parable of the sower and I went up to Bell's strawberry farm and I walked through the fields there and I just uh, contemplated what a, what a job it is to to run a farm and to to plow the ground and and to plant and to harvest and to count on the weather. And I tell you, Bell's strawberries are some of the best in the world. They are it's it's right on the west side of the island. It gets the the wind off the ocean. It gets the the fog in the morning. It gets the nice crisp uh, uh, and sometimes too much rain, but. <laughs> Oh boy, they're they're good. And uh, I was walking uh, through the property there and just praying and thinking about the the parable of the the sower and and the harvest and you know that's a, a, a just such an important and fascinating uh, parable that Jesus told about the different types of soil. I know you're familiar with that. It is um, it's so uh, universally understood. And, and, you know, Jesus said an interesting thing when his disciples asked him about it. He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parables? It seemed to be kind of a, a foundational story that uh, would lead to some other insights and some of the other things that he told. And you know that there was four different types of soil, the rocky soil, the path where the seed would fall, and then birds would come and eat it up, and it would, there would be no fruit whatsoever. And there was the soil that was... Uh, um, Rocky, I guess the first one was hard path. Rocky soil where um, there was no root for the, the, the plants to grow. And, uh, and then the, th- the third soil is the one that really uh, speaks to, I think, our culture and our lives. I think uh, it was planted among thorns. And it, it, as it grew up, it was choked. And, and Jesus says in Luke, by the, the cares and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, and it became unfruitful. But then there was a good soil. And every time I think about that story and think about harvest, I think the question asked, has to be asked of us, you know, how's, how's my heart today? Because that's the point of it. How is your heart today? Are you uh, hardened to the word this morning? Are you uh, maybe just not letting it sink in and, and take root in your life? Am I not doing that? Or are we deceived by the deceitfulness of this world? We talked about that a little bit this morning in the Sunday school class downstairs, how uh, I, I brought up the idea that you know we love to be entertained, but I, I say entertainment industry is not an in- entertainment industry. It's an indoctrination in- industry. It's uh, where the world is trying to press us into its mold, and it, it effectively can do that so easily. 
And uh, so how is, how is our heart today? How is my heart today? Am I... In my uh, place where the word of God is going to be planted and grow and produce fruit, and that's what God desires. We, uh, <clears throat> I, even though I'm officially retired, I still get to lead our men's breakfast and Bible study at the chapel every Friday morning, and uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we came to that wonderful passage that I have uh, memories of from here as well with Pastor Ron uh, about God uh, planting creating trees with seed in it that brings forth after its kind. And uh, we talked about that. And I gave each one of the guys in our Bible study a little kernel of corn, the seed, a little tiny thing. I said, do you understand that you could take this seed and plant it? And it's just one seed that came out of an ear of corn that had hundreds of these seeds on it. But that one seed could produce a stalk with multiple ears of corn with hundreds of seeds on each one of them because God has built into the fabric of creation abundance. He desires for growth and fruitfulness and abundance and it's all around us and it can happen and God wants that to happen and we see it at this time of year in, in harvest and I think sometimes it escapes us how, how fruitful this world is and can be and it's a privilege to participate in that and to see it happen and to know that God designed this. And there's so many spiritual insights and truths in these um, things that God has made as well. I love what Paul said uh, to the struggling church there in Corinth, though. He said, you know, some might plant, some might water, but it's God who makes things grow. It's God who makes things grow. We're going to look again at uh, one of the Psalms this morning, Psalm 65. <clears throat> it's a, uh, I call it a, a, a song of harvest thanksgiving. And um, it becomes more obvious later in the song, the second part of it. But uh, I, I want to just give you some insights as we connect a number of Psalms here together as to how this Psalm, the song came about and, and the significance of when David wrote it, the context and what he was seeing and thinking perhaps. And uh, so we're going to go there. As again, I've, I've shared, I, I memorized this psalm uh, about five years ago now. And so it's been one of my daily uh, practices. When you memorize something, you can't just memorize it and forget it or you know, leave it on the shelf. You have to go over it and over and over it. And it becomes part of your daily prayer. It becomes part of your, your thinking about what God is doing and what he's done and what you hope to see him do in your lives. And, and uh, so Psalm 65 is a, a prayer of, of thanksgiving, a song, but it comes in a very interesting time in David's experience. It is a prayer. It's addressed to God. And of this series of psalms from Psalm 61 to 65, um, uh, one of them is more addressed to the audience, but this one here, again, is addressed to God directly. And it goes like this. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sin, you forgave us our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, your holy temple. 
You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. Who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Then the second part of his prayer. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks. The valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. Pray with me. Oh God, abundance, a life of abundance is what you desire for your people. Not in material things, but in spiritual joy and confidence and peace and grace. An abundance that overflows that, as Paul prayed, um, he, he tries to persuade men. You don't know what you're missing in the goodness of God when you turn your back on his offer of mercy, forgiveness, and grace, and life. God, thank you for your word, and, and as you promised, it will accomplish all that you intend, will not return void. So I pray again this morning that you'd bless your word to each heart here today, that we would have hearts that are soft, that are uh, ready to receive what you would say whether it be a challenge or a conviction or a rebuke, or encouragement. Accomplish in each of our hearts, Lord, today that which you desire, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A good friend of mine, in fact, my roommate back in Bible college, was, is now <laughs> the best Bible teacher at the Bible college I went to. He's one of the favorites. He's got his languages and German and Latin and Greek and Hebrew and he's a brilliant teacher and and he has I, I listened to one of his series on online about the, the Psalms and he brought out some things that I, I, I was aware of but hadn't really kind of thought much about how many Psalms are not just we often take them as individual songs but they're a lot of them that are connected that are written in series that have a, a sense of progress and a story that they tell. And, and this series of psalms that we've looked at now for a few weeks starts with Psalm 61, which is one I didn't memorize uh, before I started this idea of memorizing a psalm a year. But from 61 to 65 carries a, a very specific um, background story that's very important to understand what's going on. And uh, as I was putting this together, I was interested in a couple things uh, as I you know, studied and, and memorized and was uh, reading some of the commentaries about it. Um, it's pretty commonly uh, agreed upon that Psalm 61, 2, 3, and 4 were all written 
during the time of Absalom's rebellion, when David's son Absalom decided that he wanted to be king, and so he gathered around him uh, deceptively some of the leaders and most influential and powerful people in Israel, in Judah, and decided to overthrow dad. And, uh, and in that time of David, uh, you know, um, seeing what was going on and taking those who were still faithful and loyal to him and really fleeing out of the country and in exile across the Jordan, um, during that time, David wrote this series of songs. And it, I don't know that the Bible gives us a clue as to actually how long that period of time was, but it was at least, at least uh, several months, perhaps even a year, of this process of, of uh, Absalom's uh, rebellion and then trying to overthrow Dad and then eventually uh, God coming to the rescue and delivering David and going back to, to Zion and to Jerusalem and to the temple and to the ark or to the tabernacle. Interestingly enough, um, all the commentaries stop with Psalm 64 and they say, well, we're not sure about 65 if that's part of the series. And uh, I, I thought that was interesting because as I was studying and spending a lot of time thinking about these psalms, I just saw a very important connection. And uh, fortunately, I at least was encouraged by uh, Spurgeon in his Treasury of David, wonderful series of, of uh, writings about the Psalms, very insightful and deep. And he said um, he believed that Psalm 65 was written after a time of rebellion and, and recovery. I said, well, yeah, that sounds like it fits right there with the end of this, uh, this adventure of, and defeat of Absalom and David's return to Jerusalem. And, uh, and I wonder, too, you know, Psalm 61, which is one of my favorite. We used to sing it here. A long time ago, and some of you old folks might remember, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, uh, for you have been a refuge for me. What a wonderful... Sadly, when I left here, I left the music behind, and I've never sung it since we were here, because uh, I couldn't find the music for it. I know how it goes. I can sing it and play it on my guitar, but I can't give it to other people. And Anyway, it's, it's just kind of lost from my... Uh, spiritual worship experience, but Psalm 61 that begins, you know, hear my cry, O God, give heed to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I, I call to you. Uh, and then he says, lead me to the rock. And imagine David now, he's fleeing from Jerusalem, and yet he's looking to the rock that's higher, not just a, a place, not just a, a, a mountain, but the rock, God himself, to be his refuge. At the end of that psalm, and we'll look at this a little later, he says that I may pay my vows day by day. Uh, we'll come back to that in, in a little bit. The second psalm here uh, we looked at a number of weeks back is the one where he is actually singing or is a song to the people that, that are listening uh, to his uh, complaint and also his confidence and also um, a challenge from David to those who maybe are still on the, on the edge. And he says, uh, my soul finds rest in God alone. Um, my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. Uh, I will never uh, be ashamed. And, and he challenges the people in that song uh, to take a stand. Either, you know, stay here with Absalom or come with me because we've got to get out of town. The, the third psalm is perhaps the most uh, well-known and, and uh, deeply moving that says, where David cries out and says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
my, my, uh, my soul longs for you. My flesh thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. And we see David there having fled and, and uh, across the Jordan and uh, escaped with his life and those who are with him barely, barely getting out uh, without all of their belongings. And, and they're in a dry and weary land. And not only physically but spiritually as well because they've experienced rebellion and, and, uh, and it's a sad time for them. And then in the next Psalm 64, David identifies those who have conspired and lied and and tried to overthrow him as God's appointed and anointed leader and king. And, And he confidently says, but God will shoot them with arrows. He will turn their own tongues against them and bring them to ruin. And then we come to Psalm 65. And I see Psalm 65 as, as Spurgeon uh, recognized, um, a time of rebellion that has passed and now recovery. And, uh, and so then picture in your mind, David and his men, they have um, fought the battle and they've been victorious. God has delivered them. In fact, in the delivery, in the battle between Absalom and the armies of, uh, of Israel, um, it says the forest devoured more men than the actual battle did because God was fighting against Absalom. And it's, it's a tragic story, and David is brokenhearted at the, at the death of his son. He longed to, to somehow bring restoration there, but it, it wasn't to be. And, uh, and through that all, and it's really a, a, a powerful story of, uh, of family and, and uh, brokenness and heartache and yet of God's deliverance and then bringing them back. And think of David now with his men. They've, they've left and they've succeeded by God's grace to be uh, restored to the kingdom. They're coming back and David writes this song, Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you, our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer. Remember he said, hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. And now he says, O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. And as he and his followers are coming back then to Jerusalem, he he writes the song of of return. Um, He says next, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave us our transgression. Remember that Dave, David carried with him this, this burden with Absalom's rebellion that much of it stemmed from his own sin. Uh, how many times in our own life do we see that if we would really be honest in the things that have happened to us and the things that were, why did this happen to me? And if we would just go back a little bit and go, oh, yeah, I, now I know why it happened to me, because of my own sin, because of my own resistance to what I know I should have done and didn't do, my own perhaps slothfulness or my own disobedience. And, and so David says here in this song at the beginning, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave us our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, your holy temple. And that's a wonderful thing about God's forgiveness is that it's not something we have to earn. It's offered freely. And uh, it's the same today as it was then. God loves to forgive. He delights to show mercy, the, song, the Bible says. And I love that, that verse there, that, 
phrase that David used, blessed are those you choose and bring near. And, and you know this if you're saved here today, if you know that Christ is your Savior, that you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you know that it wasn't anything you did, but God chose you. Somehow you found yourself believing and wanting to know God and, and turning to Him in faith and repentance. And it wasn't something that you had you know, long been looking and trying yourself to get to heaven, but God came, as Jesus said, I, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I wanted you. I'm the good shepherd who came to seek and save the lost. And if you're saved here today, it's because God wanted you. He chose you. He called you to himself when you were going the other way. And that's a wonder to think about. And I, I've often thought about that. Why, why, God, did you want me? Why did you choose me? Of all my friends that I know and people I worked with in the fire department for years, who are, you know, as we talked about this morning, good people who care about others, but they're lost. And, and they know that they're lost, but they don't want to go God's way. And I think, why did God choose me? And maybe you've wondered about that too. And then there's the other side of that story is um, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. But the truth is the door is open. And the invitation is out. And all it is is saying, God, I, I, I want to be I want to be yours. I want to, I want to belong to you. And then you find out that God chose you. It's a wonderful mystery of salvation. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, your holy temple. And then in these next uh, verses, um, David refers to and sings about the power of God in his saving in his rescuing them from the, the circumstances, the tragedy, the, the brokenness of the world that they were in. Uh, he says, um, you answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders where morning dawns and evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. Just a, an expression of wonder, of recognizing that it was not. I mean, they were vastly outnumbered in this battle between David and his followers and the, the armies of Israel. And yet God came to their rescue in his power and his, his uh, plan and his purpose for David yet in his life. The wonders of God's uh, power impressed him deeply. I think in that phrase, too, those living far away fear your wonders. Um, in a time of rebellion and Absalom's rebellion, it was clear that Absalom's plan was to bring powerful and important and influential people around him. And he, it says he captured the hearts of the men of Israel. But that's not everybody, and there's a lot of people that were left on the fringes, and, you know, there's turmoil when stuff like that happens, and yet the news of God's coming to David's rescue and bringing him back, the rightful king, uh, a king who, who, with all of his frailty, yet desired to reign in righteousness, uh, those living far away would hear of God's goodness and power and uh, be glad and recognize God's hand at work. And I love that phrase. 
uh, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. What a, what a beautiful and eloquent expression of God's, uh, the wonder of God's protection and provision and, and rescue. And then uh, we come to the last part of the psalm, starting in verse 9. And the thing that catches my attention here, and I want you to think about here, so David and his men, they have fairly, it wasn't like, okay, we got Absalom's coming, we got to get out of here within the next week or two, so let's pack up. They had to run for their lives. It was a matter of hours that they were just barely out of, out of Jerusalem running, getting away. In fact, if, if Ahithophel's advice had been followed, they would not have escaped. And he said, let's go now and get him and just take care of David and this will all go away. Um, but God frustrated his uh, plans and David and his men got away and were living in exile out, out of uh, the land, really, across the Jordan. But now they're coming back with the question in their mind, what has happened to our land? What has happened to our property? What has happened to our farms? What has happened to our harvest? I suspect because of the things that I read here in this psalm and in the story in Samuel, that this event of them returning to their land is happening around harvest time. It's happening about that time of year through Absalom's rebellion through the summer and now coming back. And they're, they're questioning and they're saying, you know, we're we coming back to, you know, a bunch of rotten stuff that hasn't been cared for and it's all, you know, we're going to have to start over and maybe a little bit of discouragement. But as they come to the land, they see that God has been taking care of it. You, God, have cared for the land. You have uh, provided the, the rains. You have enriched it abundantly. You have watched over things in our absence, in our fear, in our running, and, and you have taken care of. And we're coming back not to desolation and brokenness, but coming back to fruitfulness. There are so many <laughs> spiritual applications in this idea of harvest and, and recognizing God's care and provision uh, that, that speak to our, our spiritual lives. Um, well, I'll <laughs> just say this. I, we know, I'll, I'll know that the church here has been going through a, a hard time in the last number of months. And, but God has been taking care. He has not, you know, left and gone away he has been present. He is at work. And, and one of the things that, that I think of, because I you know, I love Machias. I've been praying for you guys for months now. And, um, one of the things that, that uh, we, we have to know is that God um, is the one who makes things grow. And in that story of the, the harvest and the different types of soil, one of the things that Jesus doesn't say that's really obvious is um, the soil preparation is so very important. Yeah, there are different types of soil, but, but who prepares the soil so that things can grow? And, and uh, you know, my wife, it, we have some gardens, and she's really good at doing this. And she studied and found that there's certain types of fertilizer that are really important for right where we live. Not, they probably wouldn't work here, but they work where we are because the mixture is just right for the, the climate and the, the part of the country that we're in. 
And that idea of, of fertilizing and preparing and turning over the soil and making it ready to, to grow and to pr produce, God does that too. God works the soil. And the soil in the parable is, is our hearts. And, and I think that's a difficult thing for us. If, we, we, if you think about the seed that was planted on the path, it was hard, but it can be turned over. And it'd be dug up, but that's hard. And if that was talking about people's lives, that's not easy, that's painful. And, and, and rocky soil, it needs to be uh, not only turned over, but it needs to have stuff added to it and stuff taken out of it. That's, that's painful when you think when you're talking about people's hearts and people's lives. But God does that because he doesn't want any soil to be unfruitful. He doesn't want any of us to be unfruitful. And, and of course, then talk about the, the, the seed planted among the thorns. That's a painful process, you know, and it's a careful thing. We have to come and rip out the thorns, and we're going to talk about that parable that Jesus told too. Um, but God does that in our lives. You know, he takes things away that maybe we're really comfortable with and we want to hang on to, but we, we know we shouldn't. And so God is in the process of taking care through the, the hard things that we go through in a body of believers because he wants us to be fruitful, because he wants us to grow, and he wants his word to prevail and to produce abundantly. I also believe in, and, uh, that this psalm has a, yeah, I always say this word wrong, but forgive me, I'll try and say it, an eschatological significance, this, this psalm. Not just that, you know, think about the, the context of David and his men and the circumstances and the, the, the release, the rescue, the return, uh, the, the thankfulness, the provision that God has shown. But we know this, that, that harvest is one of the great pictures in Scripture of, of God's purpose to bring us to, um, to himself and to heaven. Um, and think about some of the things in this psalm that speak of, of the end of the age, of where God is taking the church and the world and what's, what's coming and what we wait and long for and we pray for that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about the praise that awaits God in Zion. Not just when David was returning with his men, but the praise that awaits God in heaven when all the saints are gathered. Praise. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. Think about the, the fulfillment of the vows, all the promises that we've made and struggled with through the years. You know, Psalm 61 at the end of that says, to you our vows um, I want to fulfill. I will fulfill my vows day by day. And then Psalm 65 here uh, begins with that same idea where he says, to you... Um, our vows will be fulfilled. But think of that uh, fulfillment in heaven itself when we come rejoicing in God's grace in our lives and cast our crowns before his feet, bringing, bringing near and dwelling in his house in that first section. All of these speak to uh, looking forward that we as a church today uh, long for and pray for. 
We pray for Jesus, the Lord of the harvest. And he told that parable of the, the weeds and the wheat, where an enemy went and scattered tares, weeds amongst the weed. And the master said, when the servant said, well, should we go and pull those up? And he said, no, if you do that, you'll, you'll pull up the wheat with it. Wait until the end of the age. And then go and gather the, the weeds and gather the grain in, in bundles. But gather the tares and throw them uh, into the fire, they'll be burned. In ex explanation, Jesus said, at the end of the age, uh, he will send out his angels, the Lord of the harvest will send out his angels and gather the weeds and, to be burned. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. I love, I looked up uh, in your, one of your hymnals out there, I was looking for the words of this wonderful hymn that uh, I, I've you know, been, I was raised in the church, so I'm, I'm traditional. I've sung this song many, many, many times and throughout my life, and I love it because it is both a, a wonderful harvest song but also a great spiritual recognition in the, the, the themes of the harvest. It's called uh, Harvest Home originally, or Come Ye Thankful People Come. Come, ye thankful people, come, raise the song of harvest home. All is safely gathered in ere the winter storms begin. God, our maker, doth provide for our wants to be supplied. Come to God's own temple, come, raise the song of harvest home. All the world is God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield. Wheat and tares together sown, unto joy or sorrow grown. First the blade, and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. Lord of harvest, grant that we, wholesome grain and pure may be. For the Lord our God shall come, and shall take his harvest home. From his field shall in that day all offenses purge away. Give his angels charge at last, in the fire the tares to cast, but the fruitful ears to store in his garner evermore. Even so, Lord, quickly come to thy final harvest home. Gather thou thy people in, free from sorrow and free from sin. They are forever purified, and thy presence to abide. Come with all thine angels, come. Raise the glorious harvest home. We long for that day, and Jesus told, to pray, told us to pray for it. And, and yet in the meantime, in this world that we live in, in the turmoils and the struggles, God is at work in our lives. And he is uh, sometimes having to deal with us diffi through difficulty to prepare us to be more fruitful in our lives. And then one last word from Jesus, and you know this one so well. This church here has been a, a living demonstration. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And you know what the next thing he said to them was? Go. Go. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for this body of believers. Thank you for the sense that we've had that, that we were sent from here and experienced your blessing. Thank you for those who have gone out from here. 
who I've gone to preach your word and love people. And thank you for the things that you have done in the midst of this body of believers, your, your children that have been hard because you want us to be fruitful. And sometimes that takes uh, some work, things that we, are, we don't like, but they're to uh, prepare us and to move us forward and perhaps to refine and purify. I thank you again for your word. I thank you for David's uh, sense of your work in his life and in the world that he experienced and your protection and your care and your power and uh, providing for he and for his family. And thank you that uh, in the way that you do that in our lives, we see it all around us. But thank you that's just as true, Lord, in the spiritual truths of our lives that you are uh, desiring for us to uh, see your hand at work, providing and protecting and giving us victory through hard things and, and restoring us to um, fellowship, to joy, and to fruitfulness uh, and to service. So God, help us to keep praying and to keep working and keep serving and keep loving Keep sending and keep going ourselves. And do all that you desire in each of our lives, I pray, and in my life as well. In Jesus' name, amen.